Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the Global Church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Best Books of 2012. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, December the 30th, 2012. One of the great things about reviewing a book a week for Journey with Jesus is that I can read whatever I want. Consequently, my reading habits are highly eclectic. Our comprehensive index of book reviews, for example, organizes our 400-plus reviews under 14 different subject categories like history, economics, science, art, and memoir. I get virtually all my books at the public library. Every once in a while, I'll buy a book. Just last week, I ordered a used copy of Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. And I'm not a gadget guy. <clears throat> my writing requires me to stare at the computer screen way too long already, so I never use an e-reader. Nor do I want one. I read one book at a time, and if I start a book, my obsessive-compulsive nature compels me to finish it. This week, as we've come to the end of the year, I've looked back over the 52 books that Journey with Jesus has reviewed this year. Of course, there's no accounting for personal taste. Last year, I was so captivated by House of Prayer Number 2 by Mark Richard that I devoured it in a single day. But after my wife finished it, she just shrugged her shoulders. Anyhow, for the end of the year, here are 10 favorite titles from 2012. I've listed them alphabetically by author. If you go to our website, you can read my full review by clicking on the book title. Number one, Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow. Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. America's incarceration rates dwarf those of other developing countries, including Russia, China, and Iran. Germany, for example, imprisons about 93 of every 100,000 adults. In America, we imprison 750 per 100,000. Our penal system, though, is only a failure if its purpose is to control crime, which it does not do. But in Michelle Alexander's view, it's a raging success because its purpose is not crime prevention, but social control of blacks. Number two, Julian Barnes, The Sense of an Ending, a novel. The British writer explores the relationship between personal memory, self-identity, aging, and, by the end of the story, deep regret. To some extent, we are who we remember ourselves to be, and as this novel unfolds, we discover just how problematic that can be. Number three, Wendell Berry. New Collected Poems. 
This volume collects under one cover 266 poems that were previously published in 11 different books from 1964 to 2010, including, I might add, all 11 of his Mad Farmer poems. Number four, Ian Brown, The Boy in the Moon, A Father's Journey to Understand His Extraordinary Son. This memoir about a severely disabled boy named Walker won numerous prestigious awards in Canada where Ian Brown lives. The New York Times named it one of the top five nonfiction books for last year, 2011. I can't remember reading a book that is so carefully crafted, so brutally honest, so tenderly written, and, in the end, so life-affirming. Number five, Peter Brown, Through the Eye of a Needle, Wealth, the Fall of Rome, and the Making of Christianity in the West. The leading historian of late antiquity shows how early Christians grappled with the hardest of Jesus' hard sayings. If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Number six, David Coker, At the Edge of the Abyss, A Concentration Camp Diary, 1943-1944. Thursday, February 11. Picked up between 11 and 12 p.m. One police officer decent but anxious, and one unpleasant. I heard them coming. With that entry, David Coker, a young Dutch Jew, began a book-length diary of his life and death in the Volk concentration camp. Now in English, the book was a sensation when first published in Holland in 1977. Number seven, Manning Marable, Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention. Manning Marable has written what will stand as the definitive work on Malcolm Little for decades to come. He emphasizes Malcolm's many reinventions of his carefully crafted persona in order to rescue the historical man from iconic legend as black nationalism's secular saint and from what he calls the numerous inconsistencies, errors, and fictive characters in his famous autobiography, that was written with Alex Haley and has sold over six million copies. Number eight, David Reynolds, Mightier Than the Sword, Uncle Tom's Cabin in the Battle for America. Reynolds' book coincides with the 200th anniversary of Harriet Beecher Stowe's birth in 1811. It's a biography not only of the author, but especially of what's been called the most influential book ever written by an American. Reynolds shows how Stowe incorporated into Uncle Tom's Cabin many political, 
cultural, social, and religious themes of American life in her day in ways that caused her book to redefine American democracy on a more egalitarian basis. The book reflected the zeitgeist and also radically reformed it. Number nine, Victoria Sweet, God's Hotel, a doctor, a hospital, and a pilgrimage to the heart of medicine. Laguna Honda Hospital in San Francisco was an almshouse, by some accounts the last one in the nation, where the poorest of the poor went for medical care because no place else would take them. Victoria Sweet went to Laguna Honda for two months as a young doctor and has now been there for 20 years. In addition to her medical degree, she also earned a Ph.D. in the history of medieval medicine, specifically a study of the 12th century Benedictine nun Hildegard of Bingen, who wrote an obscure medical text. For Sweet, Hildegard's pre-modern medicine provides an important corrective to our contemporary model of delivering health care. And finally, number 10, Michael Walzer, In God's Shadow, Politics in the Hebrew Bible. A professor emeritus at Princeton's Institute for Advanced Study, and one of the country's leading political theorists and public intellectuals, Michael Walzer has written a biblical theology that starts with Genesis and proceeds through Israel's unfolding history and literature. His provocative thesis is that while the Bible contains much about politics, it actually commends what he calls a radical anti-politics. Top 10 books for 2012. <clears throat> and for books this week, I review another favorite author, Howard Zinn. The title, The Historic Unfulfilled Promise. San Francisco, City Light Books, 2012, 253 pages. Howard Zinn, who actually died in the year 2010, grew up in the slums of Brooklyn, the son of two immigrant factory workers. After high school, he worked for three years in the shipyards. After serving in the Air Force, he completed his doctorate in history at Columbia University. From 1956 to 1963, he taught at Spelman College, the first historically black female institution of higher education. And then from 1964 until 1988, he was a professor of political science at Boston University. Among his more than 30 books, A People's History of America is Zinn's best-known work, having sold more than a million copies. It typifies his radical analysis of the structures of power that form the basis of his teaching, writing, and activism in movements for peace and justice. The historic, unfulfilled promise is a posthumous book which collects 33 essays that Zinn wrote for the Progressive magazine from 1980 to 2009. 
They're a good sampler of the lovable leftist who was proof that you can be radical and still have a sense of humor. Zinn was known for his wit, grace, and self-effacing ways. His simple prose avoided academic jargon. But it's a little misleading to label Zinn a leftist and leave it at that. He's an admitted dreamer who agitated tirelessly for the promises of the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in his judgment, the establishment left was as bad as the right. The Democratic Party, for example, he calls craven and unreliable. The liberal media, cowardly propagandists in a pitiful lot. Congress, craven. LBJ, Clinton, and Obama come in for heavy hitting, just as much as Bush, Cheney, and Rumsfeld. The country doesn't need a cosmetic change from one party to the other. What we need, in Zinn's view, is a radical makeover towards genuine democracy. Open debate. Independent thinking. The categorical repudiation of war and all its pseudo-patriotic justifications. A suspicion of state power. A globalization of human rights and not just markets in the repair of an economic system that's inherently corrupt. All this comes at a steep price for each one of us, because Zen is the first to admit that there are powerful forces that push us towards safety and security. The essays in this book get a little repetitive if you've read Zen before, but that's okay. As a Stanford professor once said to me, some important things need repeating. And there are few writers whose moral passion is more inspirational. A posthumous collection of essays by Howard Zinn. The title, The Historic Unfulfilled Promise. And for holiday viewing, a nice fun and fluffy film from France. It's called Ride and Fly from the year 2012. If you're an adrenaline junkie looking for a new rush, the new hybrid sport called speed riding might be your ticket. Just strap skis on your feet and a modified paraglide sail on your back then head for the steepest snowy cliff and jump off. This documentary film follows three world-class speed riders who have pioneered the last 10 years to make this an official sport. Maxence Cavalade, Jerome Bode, and Francois Bon. In their spare time, these guys do base jumping, free flying, skydiving, and scuba. So this is not a casual crowd. And the learning curve is steep. You need to do 500 autonomous flights before you're considered qualified. Nor is it cheap since you might need a helicopter to fly you to your remote starting point. So don't try this at home, as the saying goes. Special kudos for the incredible photography in this fun film. This movie is only 52 minutes and would make for a great family night 
for film. I watched it on Netflix streaming. Once again, the title from France, Ride and Fly. And finally, for the New Year's, we've posted a poem by Alfred Tennyson, who lived from 1809 to 1892. It's called A New Year's Poem. Ring out wild bells to the wild sky, the flying cloud, the frosty light. The year is dying in the night. Ring out wild bells and let him die. Ring out the old, ring in the new. Ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going, let him go. Ring out the false, ring in the true. Ring out the grief that saps the mind for those that here we see no more. Ring out the feud of rich and poor. Ring in redress to all mankind. Ring out a slowly dying cause in ancient forms of party strife. Ring in the nobler modes of life with sweeter manners, purer laws. Ring out the want, the care, the sin the faithless coldness of the times. Ring out, ring out my mouthful rhymes, but ring the fuller minstrel in. Ring out false pride in place and blood, the civic slander and the spite. Ring in the love of truth and right, ring in the common love of good. Ring out old shapes of foul disease. Ring out the narrowing lust of gold. Ring out the thousand wars of old. Ring in the thousand years of peace. Ring in the valiant man and free, the larger heart, the kindlier hand. Ring out the darkness of the land. Ring in the Christ that is to be. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, December 30th, 2012. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.